to um, Matthew 12, verse 38. We're going to go to 50, but I won't read all that uh, right here. I had something. Is it Susan or Angel? Which one of you had a dream? Do you? Do you want to share it? You don't have to. I just, I read it this morning and it edified me, but it do you want to? Yeah, from this morning. Okay, you think about it and we'll do it at the end today. If you want, okay? If you don't, you don't have to. Or you guys can just go ask her. It was really edifying and encouraging. Really? That's what dreams and visions are for. All right. Okay? Alright. Uh, 12, 12.38. Um, some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. How are you guys? You know? But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, this is God's word. So um, the longer that we are in Matthew, the more that I'm reading through it and, and preaching sermons on it and, and hearing uh, great sermons on it, like like last week. Stoney was just awesome. It was so good. He just left. OK, and and Michelle's baptism was so good. She just left. No, I'm just kidding. He's on vacation. She's hiking. I'm sorry. Never mind. I had a funny thing that. Anyway, reading, we're hearing Matthew um, a lot. The more we're in it, the more clear it becomes uh, Jesus' mission uh, of division. Okay, and that's not the first thing you think about generally when you read about Jesus. That's the great divider um, that Jesus is coming in Matthew uh, to reveal the hearts of the people of, of Israel, to make things clear. And so if you remember back to the story of Jesus as an, an infant, they bring Jesus to the temple because they're good Jews. And Simeon, a man who's righteous and devout, who's looking for the consolation of Israel, the resurrection of the dead, eternal life, the whole bit. He takes Jesus, baby Jesus, uh, Simba style. Holds him up and says, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of of many hearts may be revealed. And so when he's holding Jesus up, doing the whole bit, um, he's quoting Isaiah 8. And Isaiah 8 is is this messianic figure who will be a, a stumbling block. To the people um, of Israel. Okay, so picture this, you know, eight day old Jesus. They're in the temple, the center of Israel's religious life. And Simeon is saying Jesus is going to be a sword. Okay, he's going to cut through the midst of the people of Israel and divide them and separate out those with repentant hearts and those without. Like from from his infancy, this is the the. Mission, the prophecy about Jesus. And then the ministry of Jesus bears this out. Okay, so if you just sat down and read through, especially John, if you just sat down and read through your Gospels, you just see like, oh yeah, this is what's going on. John and Jesus show up and they say, brood of vipers. Repent, bear the fruits of repentance before the coming wrath. Don't presume that you could say, well, we have Abraham as our father. And they say, we don't care. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's this big deal. Then you move on in the Gospels. We get the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is calling for repentance. Again, bringing division to the people, those who live for this age and those who live for the age to come. Calls them out for their wicked, greedy, uh, sinful, lustful hearts. And says if they don't bear the fruits of repentance, their, their tree is chopped down. If they don't bear the fruits of repentance, when the storm comes, their house collapses, right? Children's story we tell about the day of the Lord and the house on the rocky soil and the house on the, the sand. Again, it's just Matthew 5, 6, 7, more division. Then Matthew 8, he says the sons of Israel, the sons of the kingdom will not inherit eternal life without repentance and faith. And that's as many Gentiles will. More division. Then Matthew 10, he just really cranks up the volume. Therefore... Everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him. Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him. Don't assume the lips of Jesus. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, just like Simeon said. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, which is normal, right? And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves father or more, mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not... You see what I'm saying? Like the language of Jesus all the way through his ministry to the people of of Israel, he's bringing division and he's calling them to choose. Will you follow and receive me or will you reject me? Okay. And then the last couple weeks, Matthew 11, we've got violent men attacking the kingdom. He calls them a wicked generation of bratty children and says it will be worse for you on the day of judgment than for Sodom. And then last week, Matthew 12, more division, brood of vipers again. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things. An evil person produces evil things. I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will give account for every careless word you speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. All right, so I'm bringing this out again. To, like, Do you see the trajectory of his ministry from his infancy into this point. The, the ministry of Jesus makes Israel's guilt like a snowball. Okay, It's rolling and, and growing and picking up steam until eventually it reaches the bottom of the hill, smacks the wall, and, and explodes. Like this is, this is what's going on. Like the, the Gospels are obviously wonderful. I mean, we have the image of the invisible God walking and doing stuff. But they're also intense. Okay, they're not all just this happy, peaceful thing. Jesus is doing um, intense things. And then this next section where we're at today and then the parables after this in chapter 13 do the same thing. Okay, the parables chapter 13 are simply um, distinguishing between righteous and wicked, bringing more division. Jesus is bringing a sword. He's bringing division to his covenant people. As he is seeking the fruits of repentance. And then you, you fast forward to the end. and he, What's he saying? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. But you were not willing. You would not come. Okay? So I say this to say Jesus' ministry is not just, hey, here's three years of random miracles and teaching. There's a movement to it. There's a way he is going before the cross. He's coming to divide Israel and cause many to make a decision for him or against him to repent and turn to God 
or to not and keep going their own way. And so the same thing we pick up here, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Which, if you're reading through the Gospels, is a silly thing to ask, right? Right, Because we're in chapter 12. <laughs> right? what, what happened right before this? Stoney read it last week. Verse 10, therefore he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and he told the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored as good as the other. And this is the same crowd, same audience. They saw Jesus speak a word, and the person was healed. And up to this point in the chronology, Jesus has already turned water into wine. He's healed an official son. He's drove out the evil spirit in Capernaum. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's caught all the fish, cleansed the guy with lepra, healed the centurion's servant, and healed the paralytic that came down through the roof. Okay? Like, all of this has happened, and they stand up and say, right, but can you show us a sign? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, for, for this group of Pharisees, it does not matter what Jesus does. They've decided in their hearts they will not receive him. And their hearts are growing harder and harder and harder and harder. And this trajectory follows through the, to the end of the gospel. And so Jesus is not going to play their games, right? Matthew 11, we're going to play the flute for you. And Jesus, he's not going to dance. So verse 39, he answered them, an evil, an adulterous generation demands a sign. And, he, you know, last chapter, I gave you a sign and you called me a demon. Why would I give you more signs? You just call me names when I do it, okay? But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three, huge fish, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, okay? So those alive at, at the end, they get the sign of the Son of Man, right, coming on the clouds of heaven. But this generation, they only get this one sign. You guys want a sign? I'll give you one. Just as Jonah died and was raised, so will the Son of Man die and be raised. But here's the it, like this is the problem, okay? That even that sign won't matter to you. Okay? It, it won't do anything. You haven't received my preaching. You haven't received my miracle. And so like the rich man and Lazarus in, in Luke 16, neither will you be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Right? You know that story? Rich man and, and Lazarus. Lazarus has nothing in this age. Rich man has everything. They both die. And, and the rich man says, hey, send Lazarus back from the dead so he can tell my brothers. And Abraham says to him, if they won't believe the law and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. What's Jesus preaching his entire ministry? The law and the prophets. They're not going to You see what I'm saying? Like the hardness of their heart is, is to such a point that even the sign of Jonah won't turn some of them. Okay? Like it, it's a very bad deal. They, they've hardened their hearts to the point. Or the sign of Jonah won't make a bit of difference. And because of this, at the judgment, they'll receive a greater condemnation, okay? So like last week, their words, right? You, you have a demon. They're attributing the work of God to the work of Satan. Like last week, their words have sealed their fate for condemnation at the judgment. And this week, their unbelief at Jesus seals their fate for condemnation at the judgment, okay? So verse 41, he says, you're going to get the sign of Jonah, and it's going to be worse for you. The men of Nineveh, who Jonah preached to, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So why, at the judgment, will the Ninevites condemn the Pharisees on that day? Because the Ninevites repented at Jonah's preaching, okay? I'm preaching to you, you're not repenting. Jonah preached to them, and they repented. Now, we did Jonah a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember Max dressed up as Jonah. 
I was not at church that day, okay? And uh, we, do you, so I don't know if you remember Jonah's um, preaching, but, but Billy Graham, he was not, okay? I'm going to read you Jonah's entire sermon, okay? Jonah 3, verse 4. Jonah proclaimed, in the days, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's it. <laughs> right, yeah. That's it. That's all, that's all he said. That's the sermon. But then verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed God. They repented at, at, at that, but the Pharisees, look, something greater than Jonah is here, and they still won't repent. So jo- Jesus is a better preacher and teacher and miracle worker, and he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to give them the sign of Jonah, and they still won't repent. Therefore, at the judgment, the Ninevites and their repentance will bear witness against the Pharisees and their lack of. And they're going to say on that day, we repented with Jonah's lame sermon, right? Jonah didn't even have the instruments going, and we repented. You know what I mean? We repented at Jonah's lame sermon. What excuse do you have, O evil and adulterous generation? What excuse do you have? You've got God in the flesh teaching. You've got God in the flesh performing miracles. You've got God in the flesh who's going to, by the power of the Spirit, be raised from the dead. And you won't repent. Therefore, at the judgment, the Ninevites will rise up and say, yeah, what excuse do you have? Okay, and and Jesus' next example here is is even more damning. Whereas Jonah went to the Ninevites, right, which is the job of Israelite to the nations. Jonah went to the Ninevites, and they heard, and they responded to the word of the Lord. Next, the queen of Sheba traveled a great distance to hear it herself. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment, at the day of the Lord, with this generation, and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Right? Jonah goes to them and they repent. She goes, she has to go to Israel. So I think these two examples just make two uh, important points. First, this is showing Matthew's emphasis on Jesus as a light to the Gentiles, right? As a light to the nations. This is the calling of Israel. Jesus, as the king of Israel, the head of Israel, is doing the bit, right? Jonah is a Jewish prophet who goes to the Gentile nations, kicking and screaming, but he does go. To call them to repent. And the queen of Sheba is a, is a Gentile drawn to Israel's right. This is all Isaiah language. Nations will be drawn to your light via Solomon's wisdom. Right? That's why she comes. The God of Israel has given this man wisdom that surpasses anyone in the whole world. She goes, I need to go and hear about this. So I think what Jesus is doing is just kind of redoing Matthew eight eleven, where he says, "Many, I, I truly I tell you, many will come from the east and the west. Many Ninevites will come into eternal life. Many queens of Sheba will come to eternal life to share at the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, right, unrighteous descendants of Abraham, Pharisees here, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of of teeth. That's first. When the light reaches the Gentiles, in these two examples Jesus gives, they turn. And the ministry of Jesus is saying, Israel, won't, won't you? If the Ninevites turned with Jonah's, you know, he'd be fired, right? The Ninevites turned at that. The queen of the south traveled. Why won't you turn in Israel? And the second thing, and, and um, what I think is most important and most 
pressing for us, Americans in Tonkawa, Oklahoma in 2022, the second thing that I think matters most here is that this greater light that, that Israel has, that the Pharisees have, leads to greater judgment for them. Okay, this is his point. The Ninevites know next to nothing. Okay, if you're familiar with with the Veggie Tales thing, what's the Ninevites thing? They're fish slappers. They slap people with fish. That's their thing, right? <laughs> they, they don't know anything yet. They repented. The Queen of Sheba knows next to nothing about the God of Israel, but she goes up to Jerusalem, goes up to Solomon, and, and she. Makes offerings and, and praises the Lord. Right? They, they have a little light and they repent. And so Jesus says, you guys know everything. Like you, you've got it all, yet you won't repent. Therefore, at the judgment, your judgment is greater. Right? If anyone is going to repent at the preaching and the life of the Messiah, it should be these guys. It should be them. Like They, they have had so much more opportunity to turn and serve the God of Israel rather than themselves, and they won't. And so to bring this into our contemporary light, how much greater will our condemnation be as Americans if we don't bear the fruits of repentance? You know what I mean? Like, we have had the scriptures from birth. My mom had headphones on her belly. Right? Weird, but cool, you know, grateful. We've had the scriptures from our birth. We've had singing vegetables to teach us Bible stories. We have Christian summer camp. We have VBS. We have the Bible in our pockets. We've had it on screens, right? Since there was television, the word of God has gone out. On on television, we have it in our ears. We have enough disposable income to build buildings to worship in. We have enough disposable income to pay professionals to teach us the Bible. We have been given much light, so I'm saying, if, if you are an American in Tonkawa, you have much light. It's not about a lack of access to the gospel. Like, that, that is just totally not our issue. And if we do not respond appropriately to the light, if we do not respond appropriately and bear the fruits of repentance and live lives that are evidence that our allegiance is only to Jesus and, 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 and obedience to his message, our judgment will be great. You know what I mean? Like I'm reading Matthew 12 this week like, oh my God. I like, I have no excuse I'm without excuse, just like these men, where our judgment will be great. And people from other countries who have one page of the New Testament and no singing vegetables will repent and rise up and condemn us at the judgment. You know what I mean? Like, that is heavy. So I don't want us to read this section of Matthew 12 and look down our noses at the Pharisees and their hard hearts. If, if that's what you take out of reading Matthew 12, you've got issues, okay? And, and you need to repent. I want us to read this section of Matthew 12 and read the parables in a couple weeks and tremble before God. That's what it should do. 
cause you to tremble before God, cry out for mercy that our hearts would stay soft and malleable and not hardened to God and that we would be quick to repent and turn to the Lord. Otherwise, right, if that's not what comes out of this, if that's not the fruit that's born from all the light that we have, otherwise Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba will rise up at the judgment and condemn us along with the Pharisees. Does that make sense? Like you, we have no excuse We have no excuse. And then Jesus keeps piling on here. Verse 43. Talking to the same crowd. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person. It roams through waterless places looking for rest. But it doesn't find any. Then it says I'll go back to my house. That I came from. And returning it finds the house. Vacant. Swept. Put in order. Then it goes out and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. And as a result the person's last condition is actually worse Then the first, everyone's nodding their head, going, yeah. And then Jesus says, and that's how it will be with this evil generation. Okay? So he's just still hammering them. He's saying, the Ninevites repented, you guys won't. The Queen of Sheba repented, you guys won't. And now you're like seven evil spirits come back into the house. Okay? So remember... Israel's history with Moses, God dwells with them in the tabernacle. David wants to build a house. The prophet says, yeah, go for it. Wait, I misheard. Don't go for it. Solomon is going to build it. Solomon builds the temple. The Lord uh, fills the temple, right? All the people fall down. Cool, like, like Indiana Jones style, minus the death. Like it's, it's cool then. Okay, so you got this temple. And you got Israel, you got Solomon, and and people or nations are coming to the light. But then, due to idolatry and pride, which is the issue here with the religious leadership, due to idolatry and pride, the very things Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for here, what happens? The kingdom is split, and then it's exiled, and then what happens? The, The house, the temple, is what? What's Assyria do? They destroy it. Okay. <laughs> they destroy the temple. They come in because of Israel's idolatry, because of Israel's pride. God sends the curses of, of Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. Upon them, the temple is destroyed. Seventy years later, Cyrus sends the people out of ex- exile. And Ezra and Nehemiah do what? They rebuild, right? They, they build the second temple. And it pales in comparison to Solomon's, right? Like they get the temple built and they're like, hey, what do you think? And all the old, all the old guys, they start weeping and crying because they remember the glory of Solomon's temple. And this thing is like whatever. And so Ezra has to say, hey, stop crying. Go eat, drink, be merry. Like this is a good thing. Okay, it's all right. We got a temple. Then Greece comes in then Rome after them. And at this point in Jesus ministry, who's in charge of the house? Who's in charge of the temple? Pharisees. Okay. And Jesus begins his ministry. We didn't, Matthew's not chronological, so we didn't hit this. Jesus begins his ministry doing what? Cleaning the temple. Cleansing the house, right? John chapter 2. And he cleans the house to where it's vacant and swept and put in order. But after he cleaned the house, the beginning of his ministry, did they fill it back up with righteousness and repentance? No. Instead, their wickedness came back seven times greater. And in Matthew 21, Jesus cleanses the temple again because its last condition, due to idolatry and pride, has become worse than the first. Does that make sense? 
He's still, he's still talking to the same people, still telling the same story. And then in 70 AD, it's torn down again because they didn't fill it up with righteousness. It's another condemnation on them. Guys, I cleansed the temple once. I've got this many years of ministry to, to turn you to the Lord. Again, you don't do it at the temple. It, it, it's seven times worse than it was before. And then the section closes here. Verse 46, while he was still speaking with the crowds... His mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to the one who was speaking to him, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, right? He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, so we're still in the same story, same chapter, doing the same thing. Like, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's making the same point that he made at the beginning of his ministry, that John made at the beginning of his ministry, where the Pharisees are operating on the assumption that the, the, the promises to the patriarchs, okay, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promises to David, they're theirs simply by birth. Right. That's the assumption they're operating with to which John and Jesus say, that's not how this works, man. You're going to call yourself a descendant of Abraham. You better uh, do works of righteousness like Abraham. You better have faith like Abraham, the brothers and the sisters of the Lord, those who will escape the coming wrath. Those those who will be Goshen in, in the time of the coming wrath are those who bear the fruits of repentance, are those who do the will of my father who is in heaven. Matthew 3 is telling us the same thing as Matthew 12. Being a descendant of Abraham, in the, which, uh, don't mishear me, Jesus isn't looking at Mary and saying, nah, not her. Right? Okay. He's just making a point. That, yeah, of course, Mary is my mother and, and these are my brothers. But he's talking to the Pharisees here and saying, but th- those who are true descendants of Abraham, my brothers and sisters, are those who do the will of of my father and points to his disciples being a descendant of Abraham in the truest sense for them means relating to God like Abraham did with repentance and faith with humility and a contrite heart you want me to go into that land okay I'll go leave my house leave everything and go into the land and believe the promise and once again just again just like Matthew 3 Jesus is is essentially saying I don't care who your daddy is okay I don't care. I don't care who your granddaddy is. I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home. I don't care if you've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church. I don't care if you've served as an elder or are serving as an elder, served as a deacon or are serving as a deacon. I don't care if you walked an aisle one time or got baptized after VBS. I I don't care. Those who do the will of my father are my brothers and sisters and, 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 and mothers. There will be people on the last day who say, but I had Abraham as my father. There will be people who say, I, I led communion, man. I, I gave money. I was a preacher. Pharisee, I had good theology. Okay? But if there is no repentance, 
Just over and over, Ninevites, Queen of Sheba, the, the, the filling up of the temple. You're not my brothers and sisters if you don't do the will of my Father and ever. Over and over, if there is no repentance and if there is no perseverance in the thing until the end, if there is no doing of the will of my Father, it doesn't matter who your daddy is. It just doesn't. Okay? And... For them who go to the end of Jesus' ministry and still do not repent, they do not inherit the promises of, to Abraham. They don't inherit the promises to David. They don't inherit the promises of the new covenant promise in the prophets. They inherit a lake of fire, even though they're descendants of Abraham. Does that make sense? Like G- Jesus is just pressing the issue over and over and over and over. His mission is to come to Israel as a sword and bring division and, and to those who will bear the fruits of repentance and those who will not. And this is the ministry of the church today. This is what we're doing. Okay, our, our ministry needs to be a sword. Our preaching needs to bring, be a sword that, that calls people to a response. Will you receive Jesus? Will you bear the fruits of repentance? Will you cry out for the mercy of God? Right? Don't beat your chest and say, I'm awesome. No, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or will you not? Like it's the same, it's the same mission, the same message until he comes. This is what we are doing. And just, and, and I... Another thing that just, the more, sorry, Robert, if you'll come help me, I'll stop talking. The more I'm reading through Matthew and reading through Matthew and reading through Matthew and reading through Matthew, the, the, like, obviously, Jesus has a contention with these guys, right? Like, it's, it's the whole book. It's contention with these guys. And rather than reading that as God hates these guys, he, Jesus hates these guys, Shouldn't you read this as God loves the Pharisees? You know what I mean? Who does Jesus spend 90% of his time with in the Gospels? Pharisees. Who's he calling to repent 90% of the time in the Gospels? Pharisees. The heart of Jesus is not for these guys to go to the lake of fire. That's just not, that's not what you should gather from his polemic with them all the time. You should gather from this. Jesus loves them. Jesus is related to them. Jesus believes the same promises they believe. And Jesus is just calling them to repent. Turn their hearts to the God of Israel. Turn their hearts away from from pride. Turn it away from idolatry. And and trust in Him alone to bring the redemption. Trust in Him alone to do the same same thing. So I wanted to highlight the, the sword of Jesus today. But also the mercy of God today. For two and a half years, preaching to these guys who he knows he will reject him. Two and a half years preaching to them, calling them to, to turn. So while the judgment of God is, is real and clear and Jesus doesn't like mince words here, the mercy of God is also real today. And just like then, today, Jesus is still welcoming any sinner who will come and repent and turn to him. Okay? The heart of God has not changed from the first century to now. He's doing the same bit. Calling to repent. Throwing out mercy. Saying, come, come, come. So if you will trust in his words. And trust in his life that we have documented here. Trust in his death. Trust in his resurrection. His ascension and his soon return. Just come. Okay? Come.
And if you haven't done that, with all the light that you have as, as, as an American in Tonkawa, if you haven't done that and you're trusting on something else for eternal life, stop it. Put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. Put your hope in his cross, life, death, resurrection. And if you haven't done that and you're sitting next to a member of our church, talk to them and they can tell you what it means to trust in Jesus, repent of your sins and follow him faithfully until he comes. Or you can talk to me or any of our elders here, okay? But don't don't leave today like neutral about Jesus because that's not neutral. <laughs> All right? Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your spirit to come and, and convict. We ask you for your spirit to bring uh, light and illumination to us, God, to make the word of God clear. God, and we ask you for a real heart response today. God, for those who are following Jesus for 60 years, for 70 years, for 80 years, would they still bear the fruits of repentance today? Would they finish the race? God, for those of us that have been following Jesus for a year or six months, God, would you again send the Spirit to us to convict and, and, and cause us to, to sign up again and say yes today and say yes tomorrow and say yes the next day. God, our, our, our prayer is sober. God, we, we, we don't want to be like this crew here. We want to be like the Ninevites and repent at a word. We want to be like the Queen of Sheba and come a long way to hear and respond rightly and offer praise. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, what do you think, Susan? Yes, no? Yes? Okay, come, come on up. So, um, this is Susan. Susan joined the church two months ago, three months ago, a little bit ago. Yeah, you joined the church recently. So, come on up. I just wanted to share. Um, she had a dream this morning uh, that I actually think goes with some of what yeah. we talked about today. So, if you just yeah. want to share that. Um, I'm not a public speaker, so sorry. Um, oh, yeah, you got it. Closer? Yeah. Okay. Um, my husband and I were gifted some